Good day, I'm Mark Pesci, and welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Throughout Series 2, we'll be focusing on some of the rapidly evolving areas in the startup ecosystem. One of the biggest, at least here in Australia, is connected labor. With last year's IPO of Melbourne-based Freelancer.com, Australia has already made its mark in this area, but Freelancer is just the beginning. On our very first show, we spoke to Airtasker CEO Tim Fung about how the task economy was changing employment and changing the way employers work. Today, we follow up with two founders who have complementary takes on how connected labor can transform business. We'll start off by speaking with Jen George, the founder and CEO of OneShift, a business that has been built to serve the needs of SMEs who need workers and need them right now. Then we'll speak to Trang Do, founder and CEO of Two Square Pegs, about how she's working to connect folks with years of experience to businesses that need that experience. The future of labor today on This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by Optus Innovate, providing support and investment to the Australian startup community, and eCal, the right-time communications platform. In December last year, it was my pleasure to be the Master of Ceremonies for a conference called Above All Human that was held down in Melbourne. And at the end of the day, there were what they call Y Combinator office hours. And three of the dude bros who run Y Combinator got to hear pitches from a range of entrepreneurs, most of whom they really knocked down to size. And then one entrepreneur mounted the stage and pretty much not only blew them away, but blew the entire room away. And I was like... I've got to get this person on Twista ASAP. And so here she is, Jen George. Welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks for having me. So you blew them away with your startup. Your startup is called OneShift. Tell us about OneShift. Yeah, definitely. OneShift is a market that um, connects businesses and candidates for casual, part-time and flexible work. Um, we've got close to 410,000 candidates in the marketplace and about 35,000 businesses been around for about two and a half years now, just over now, I can say. And um, so this is our third year of running. And um, there's about 40 staff in a Sydney office pretending we know what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't even quite know where to start, but I'm going to start with how did you get the idea? Um, I was backpacking around Europe, um, basically looking for work um, on super yachts. You can live on, you know, 90 meter boats. The owners come on for five days out of the six months you're hired. Yeah, so, I mean, we've just had Paul Allen sitting in Sydney oh, Harbour doing yeah, exactly yeah. that. Exactly. It's horrible, right? Yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. <laughs> so, right. You get paid like 2,000 euros a month to serve people that are only there for five days. So mm. it's in high demand. So I was mm. finally offered a job sitting around waiting and just needed some casual work because I literally had 20 euros to my name and surprisingly wanted to live somewhere and have some food on the table. So Fair enough. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm really demanding. And um, so, yeah, hit, hit the local cafe that we all went for breakfast at and said, look, we've got a whole hostel full of people sitting around waiting for their work to start. Right. Give us the shifts. We'll negotiate our own pay rates. You can pay us how you want. Um, I just want the flexibility to pick and choose what I want so I can travel, check things out, have some fun, but also, you know, have a bed to sleep in and something to right. eat. Yeah. So it was so it was a sort of nexus of flexibility yeah. and the need to like have enough to live on. Yeah. To just get that bare minimum of what I what I needed and it wasn't about I guess getting in and starting a career. It was here are my skill sets, you have a need, I have I need money. Let's exchange and then keep going. All right. So that's the kernel of the idea, but then you, you finished your 
your travel around the world, you came back to Australia and yep. you decided you wanted to make a business out of that. Yeah. So basically I started a blog just by putting up jobs that I'd spoken to businesses like bartending roles and wait staff roles that they needed last minute staff. Right. And would call every single one of my friends going, oh my God, are you available Saturday night to pull a So chair? this starts as a phone tree. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Very manual process. Because I mean, Craigslist literally did start as a mail list that was sent around among his friends in San Francisco. So Craigslist, yep. which everyone knows is this huge yeah. website now, literally when Craig Newmark started it, which was in 93, and I was living in yep. San Francisco at the time, I knew Craig, I still know Craig, it was a mailing list and said, you know, this stuff is for sale, these apartments are for rent. And mm. it was just, you know, it probably got to five or 600 people going out a couple times a week and then it becomes this thing. And yep. so how did it become, how did it sort of tip over from you doing stuff in your blog and getting on the phone to going, wait a minute, there's a whole business, business here. Yeah, definitely. So on the weekends, I'd hit every sort of main shopping strip, handing out business cards, trying to get businesses to sign up and right. um, hitting every uni, putting up posters. And I had about 300 uni students using it and a couple of clubs posting like event nights and whatnot to get staff and right. kind of had that traction happening on its own and kind of went, okay, this is an actual business I need to get this off the ground. So. Right. Then I realized it costs a lot of money to build websites and build a yes. business. It doesn't, yes. it doesn't just happen, surprisingly. <laughs> it used to, but those, those days are long gone. Funnily enough, you can't just build a website and people just suddenly know about it. No. So I uh, learned that the hard way. So I um, got on a plane with my dad to Melbourne and just put actually harassed him for a whole hour and a half about how this is working, what I wanted to do, how we're going to, you know, change the way that people found casual and part-time work and just picked up stuff as they needed it <laughs> rather than, you know, this idea of a career that isn't really around anymore. Right. And of course, the, the bootstrapping story is very similar to what I heard Ned Morfield talking about mm. with GoCatch, yeah. which is that they sat in the parking lot at Sydney Airport and passed out cards yeah. to get the taxi drivers to sign up to the service. And this is what you're doing with the retailers and also what you're doing then with the yeah, students. Yeah, definitely. It's it's more the agricultural approach because I think if you want to get the groundswell, you've got to be roll up your sleeves, get there and just make it happen. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting around waiting and waiting yeah. and you, you know you, you, all you can do is wait and you're not going to get anywhere. So was it sounds like the business had traction from the very beginning i mean from the time you had the blog you had yep. you were creating a market between people who needed employment and people who needed workers right yep, definitely and we had um i think the concepts whether it's um hospitality for example bartenders they need new bar most bars need new staff every six weeks because uni timetables change exams holidays family right. you name it so right. think of that turnover and then think about it in every other sort of business around Australia. All right. the SMEs, there's over 600,000 SMEs um, who have that sort of turnover. And all the sort of shotgun approach that's around is Gumtree, Facebook, um, call Auntie Becky who can hopefully, you know, lend a pair of hands. So the there was no, there were the only solutions for this were completely ad hoc before. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So we're trying to streamline it. Well, you... Okay, so let, I mean, so so we've had all this informal, this literally social networks. People know, friend knows a friend. Oh yeah, they need work over here. And and while those networks work, there's a lot of friction associated with them, and they they tend to lose. They drop a lot of information along the way, right? Definitely. So they're not efficient in that sense. So now we come to how one shift is working. How does one shift? 
make that transaction between someone who's offering labor and someone who needs labor? How do you make that efficient? We make it efficient by using the data that we collect from both candidates and businesses and create instant connections. So we've had businesses post roles, you get instant matches. So you straight, the moment you click, yep, post, let's do this. So it's like speed dating. Exactly. Get them in, find the person you want, get out and move on with your day. We don't want people wasting time in, you know, sifting through resumes. Now, for the candidates who mm-hmm. pop up, yeah. is there any sense of, oh, they've also worked here and these people really like them or anything yeah. like that? Is there a rating associated with rating them? Rating systems. If they're not doing the right thing, they get blacklisted. It's also about how active they are on the network. So we're constantly putting up the most active candidates as part of our matching algorithm so that businesses are getting people who are actively involved in the marketplace. So it's not the newbie who just signed up and has no idea. It's about getting the best person who's worked at these places that they like. So for example, we have businesses who actually look for candidates who have worked at Hooters before because their customer Mm -hmm. service skills are amazing. Right. Right. So if they can pick and choose those sort of um, filters, then they get instantly connected to the people and the skill sets that they know are good for their business and they know are going to fit in their culture quicker. So does that then mean that on both sides of the equation that there tends to be a recurring relationship in these? In other words, do you tend to retain a business once they come into your network? Yeah, definitely. So we find that, um, so in 2014, um, every business who signed up um, posted up to five roles a month. Right. Oh, uh, sorry, 81% of businesses who signed up in 2014, there we go, posted up to five roles a month um, consistently with us. So you get, because it's so cheap and easy, it's only 30 bucks, they'll keep finding new staff. So is it 30 bucks per listing? Yep. Okay. And they get their matches. But if they have a continued arrangement with that employee, we don't get involved. If they pay them cash, if they use them more than once, right. Whatever happens, it's between them. And right. we know it's that- $30 to make the date, in other words. Exactly. Okay. And if they get married, Thumbs up. Great. Go have fun. <laughs> Name yeah. the kids after us. <laughs> one shift George. <laughs> All right. So where does one shift sit in the landscape of if you say you have freelancer, which is more for gigs, you have Seek, which is more for full-time employment. You have Airtasker, which is more for these very sort of like, go pick up my dry cleaning. Mm. Where does one shift sit in all of that landscape? So similar to when you look at Freelancer, it's all transaction-based through the model, through the website. You pay everything through the website. With us, we want flexibility. So we allow, we basically put people in front of you. They come into your business as your own staff. You have complete control, but we give you the instant connection to staff. So I guess it's all about those ad hoc style positions um, where you just need skills in to ramp up your business to suit what's going on and ramp back down again. So in a sense, it's almost very much like Amazon Web Services. You can spin up some servers and spin them down. You can spin up uh, staff and spin it down as needed. That sounds... Are you seeing businesses changing the way they're working because they now have access to a flexible talent pool like that? Definitely. So we find that, for example, Melbourne Cup... uh, Right. Even our, ourselves, we will um, increase our customer service um, in team in our um, office to from ten to twenty, just because we know Melbourne Cups on SMEs literally will call up and go, ah, just getting someone, ah, and just hang up, and you're like, great, <laughs> okay, translation, please, like, yeah. let's figure that one out. So, right. yeah, you've just even we do it we, because we can, we have the ability to do that. Whereas previously, it would be su- the amount of effort and time you'd actually have to put in. Oh wait, so so you're you're dog fooding. So when you yeah. need to staff up for something, yeah. you also then go to your own service. Right, yeah. If we can't use it, then how can we expect somebody else to use it? I I would hope more companies would feel (laughs) your way, but they don't always. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. 
Hi, this is Mark Pesci. If you go to as many startup events as I do, you'll often see the banner for the Optus Innovate Investment Fund at these events because Optus Innovate is always there providing funding to make sure that these events happen, to make sure that the community gets smarter, gets better. Alfred Lowe and Peter Wynn have been working for years at Optus Innovate to help the startup ecology work in Australia. And you can tell because they're big supporters of institutions like Fishburners and institutions like Innovation Bay, conferences like Above All Human. Every time you look around, you see another way that Optus Innovate is helping startups succeed. They're also one of the active local corporate VCs. They're looking for Series A investment opportunities. And of course, Optus Innovate can also help you connect into Optus for partnership on business development opportunities. They're always there for you. So find out more at optusinnovate.com.au. And we're back at This Week in Startups Australia. We're talking to Jen George, the founder and CEO of OneShift. So, Jen... Let's talk about your business. This is your pretty much what I would think of in the rocket ship phase, the very rapid growth phase of your business. Now, if you're taking sort of $30 from each of these transactions, do you want to sort of talk about what that kind of means in terms of the dollar volume that you're bringing in right now? Yeah, definitely. So um, last year alone, we grew um, (laughs) 4,082.3%. Very specific, I know. Roughly, roughly. (laughs) Give or take. Um, So, I mean, we're definitely in that phase where we are growing because, you know, when you're starting from a very low base, especially at 30 bucks, it's easy to kind of get that scale. Um, This year, our whole focus is on people so within the business making sure we have the right skill sets the right structures and processes um, and also um, a lot of sales targets and of course uh, product development so with that I think that's a lot of balls in the air yeah it is but you know there's a lot of time and we've got a big team so you've got to keep pushing right how do you decide I think particularly in the beginning so there's and I've noticed from my own time in startups there are sort of two critical periods in a startup and that's around 10 people and then again between 30 and 60 people is when you really start to see the form the organization is going to evolve into that first 10 people because they then pick the next 30 60 people really set the tone and so those choices up front are very delicate so how did you make those choices what's interesting is um you know everyone always talks about that gut feeling and mm-hmm. finding the right person i think what we found well, i've learned very quickly um through the very hard lessons that's for sure is yeah. when you get the right person in your business they can change your business completely um and, and in the most positive way so our, one of our most key hires was our cto um i posted a role on seek and and I literally got 500 applicants. <laughs> right. I went to page three of the applicants going, oh, my God, so many applications. What do I do? I opened the first resume. Went, oh, Dale Fraser. Okay, sound, sounds okay. Don't know who this guy is. Literally said, come on in for an interview. Right. And went, you're the guy. Did knew, knew nothing about, you know, what his experience was or anything. Just got along really well with him and just knew he had the same values as what I did for the business mm-hmm. and had the same kind of vision of where we want to take it. And mm-hmm. He's been one of our, you know, rock stars in the business and it's just about finding more and more rock stars and that's why our, one of our focuses for this year is people, getting the right people in the business to help grow it. So does that... 
I mean, how, how do you make those decisions around the business? I know that in the successful startups I've worked in, hiring has yeah. been very participatory. You really let everyone come in and have yes. a say. Oh, yeah, definitely. Are you trying to do that or is it really going to be a top-down process for you? Um, so what I generally do is, uh, my mentality is I don't know everything. That's why, you know, you hire people who are smarter than you, right? <laughs> so. that, that's I've heard that the smartest people surround themselves with smarter people. Yes, so, yeah. definitely. And so um, I literally will um, get, I'll do first round and it will literally be a, hey, what do you do on the weekend? What's up? Tell me about your life. Right. Um, no sort of in real interview style questions, I guess, about their background and skill sets. Right. Then second round interview will get more more parts of the team involved, you know, depending on what team they're going to be working with. And mm -hmm. then they'll ask all the nitty gritty, you know, day-to-day -day style technical questions. Um, and then we'll make a decision from there. But I think when you find the right personality mm -hmm. um, that can... Bring, that can really gel in with your team and lift the game. Right. Um, I think you, you create roles for people. Like we've we've hired somebody, um, Claire actually, uh, because she was an amazing person and just really we knew that she'd add a lot of value to the business and we actually just created a role for her. We went, right, we need you in the business. Let's What can, what can you do? <laughs> Great. And, and in a sense, if you're growing, mm. that's not a problem because yep. that person will grow into the role that yep. you've created for them yeah. because that role is going to be a thing. Definitely. And you want people who can grow with the business. If they can't grow with the business, then they're not going to keep up and then they end up leaving or you let them go or whatever. Well, and you have to have, particularly in the early stages mm. of business, people who are comfortable with a lot of change. Yes, that's very right? true. Right. Because, you know, having Benny in startups at the 10 person level, that's mm. not the same startup at a 200 person level. It's a very different. It's still a startup up right but it's a very different business very different processes and if people aren't comfortable with that yep or coming from big corporates where they do, they prioritize or put every single process in place of how you approach your day so so let me let me ask you about this because are you having trouble in a sense finding the kind of talent that you want um i think my actually doing it from a different angle is um my issue is knowing what i want because we don't know what the end game here is with the business it's right. trying to plug and play and try and see which actually suits the business more um i mean with the cto for example i i actually explained that we we're on the wrong database than we actually were using at the time right. um so you know you've got it i didn't quite know what i was looking for what I, what the skill sets that we were looking for and what was actually gonna you know when people sit in an interview and they go but what are you actually looking for and i'm like uh, uh i don't know <laughs> so so I think it's right. getting people on the ground, having a play with it, and they create their own role. Right, but I guess the other thing is, is how do they respond to the question, right? You know, it's if they're actually comfortable with the fact that you don't know, yeah. that probably means that they're a better fit than someone who's actually looking for, okay, I'm going to be bit banging JavaScript on the front end all yeah. day long. Definitely. You know, it's, and it, it, that's the thing. In that startup, even at a 60 person, everyone's wearing multiple hats. Very true. And unless people are comfortable with wearing multiple hats – they're not going to they're not going to be able to grow with your organization that's so true and also that it's it's very true the saying um when people say you know what, what's part of my job description oh sorry that's not a part of my job description i can't do that <laughs> what? You, you can't say that in a startup you startups <laughs> like you just do what you gotta do to make it happen right right, <laughs> right absolutely all right so probably you're growing if you're going 4,000 percent year on year and 82.3 i'm sorry 4,082.3 percent my mistake if you're growing if you grew that way in 2014 mm. let's say it's not unreasonable that you'll grow 500 percent in 2015 right yeah. that would be quite reasonable for a company at this period in its life cycle yeah. And then you may actually be talking about not having, you said 40 employees right now? Yeah. Okay. And I think. We're on hiring game. Right yeah. Now, yeah. So. But I, <laughs> I, I believe that 
when you were on stage at Above All Human, which mm-hmm. is a month ago today, you had just passed 31, right? Yes, yeah, so our sales team is growing quite rapidly. <laughs> All right, so, so that's 31 days, and you've, had, and you've increased the number of employees by 33%. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's not draw that out, but let's just assume that, say, by the end of the year at this rate, it's, it's reasonable to assume that you're going to have 100 150 employees by the end of the year? I hope not, because that just sounds like so many HR issues. <laughs> well, this is, but this is, again, this is the, this is the, this is the struggle around growth, because you're going to actually be able to need that kind of staff in order to maintain the sales growth that you have, right? Oh, of course. But yeah. you're right. It now becomes, oh, wait, this is a big company. So to turn this back on you as a CEO, running a startup is qualitatively a different experience. It's much more of a roller coaster, let's mm. say. Then running a company that is more established and you're starting to move into that. So how are you seeing your own role evolve through that? Especially in the last sort of 30 days, for example. So from December to what my role is today is completely different. Um, my focus in November, December was literally hitting the road and speaking at lots of events. And, before- and you got very good at it, let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, then when you get back in January, it's it's a different approach. It's right. How, do, how are we setting ourselves up for the best success this year? Um, it's getting the right players around the table and making sure that every person in the management team knows exactly what we're doing. It, it's making sure that even, I don't care whether your job is to open the front door to, um, you know, running the business, everyone needs to be right across the vision of the whole business so that everything that they do every day can impact what we're trying to achieve. So, so your job as CEO is to make sure that everyone has the vision yep. and then if they have the vision, then you don't have to worry as much. Yeah, well, you can't grow a business, um, especially with that many people and, you know, me try and have my hands on absolutely everything. Yeah. It's, it's just not scalable and it means that you're setting yourself up for failure the best job i can do is making sure that everyone knows where we need to go and giving them the freedom to completely stuff up learn from it and then you know get a better result at the end of the day all right and i have to ask this because i haven't asked this so far how old are you 24 <laughs> that's an awful lot of wisdom for a 24 year old i am really impressed thank you where have you been learning all of this from my team Everyone around the table. you got to give them the ability to succeed as well because it makes me look good. <laughs> well, you're looking pretty good right now. <laughs> I'll let them know. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So in three or four years, what is One Shift doing? How big is it? What's, what's its role in the Australian economy? Um, I think it's going to be a uh, marketplace that's changed the way that businesses approach their staffing requirements. They're realising that they don't need excess. They can plug in, plug out um, what they actually need. And I think it's going to change the way that people approach that. Is it just going to be SMEs or are we actually going to see large businesses start to use this as a labour pool source? Well, we do have large corporates who are posting up to 2,000 roles a month. Which ones? If you Um, can... Well, can't, okay. All right. That's There's all right. A, apparently, a lot of contracts and confidentiality situations on um, the job boards, as I'm sure you can read between the lines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Got you. Um, but uh, look, I think um, it'll be interesting to kind of play with um, the market, the way that the whole Australian economy is changing as well, with the way that people are approaching staffing. It's the casualization is completely right. evolving. Um, right. People's expectations of a career is completely evolving. So. Well, I think they are. If you're. 24. Yeah. I think if you're 54, you still have this sense that there's just this continuity of employment until retirement. And mm-hmm. and that's the thing is we're actually starting to see these two very different economic styles, one of which is probably not going to be around much longer. And it'll be interesting to see if companies like OneShift can make that transition su- supportable. Yeah, right? definitely. Jen George, 
This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, I'm hoping that we will have you back on early in 2016 and you can give us another view from this journey that you're on because it's clear that you're going to be one of the bigger companies in Australia in the next couple of years. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. And when Felix and I are in the studio recording This Week in Startups Australia, we take a lot of photos. We post those to our Tumblr so you can get a look behind the scenes at what's going on here. That Tumblr is at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. You can also find SoundCloud versions of the podcast. You can find links to videos. You can find links to the websites and the Twitter profiles of the folks we have on the show. It's pretty much a one-stop shop for everything you want to know about the guests we have on the show. And you can find it at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Hi, this is Mark Pesci on This Week in Startups Australia. I'm here in Melbourne with Melbourne Matt Allen. Say hello, Matt. Hello, Matt. <laughs> Today, we're talking to Trang Du. Hi. So, Trang has just founded a company called Two Square Pegs. Why don't you tell us about it? Um, so, Two Square Pegs is a platform that makes it easier for mature professionals to connect to um, small businesses and startups um, to so provide. What do you mean by mature? Mature being um, people who are um, over the age of 50, or, or actually, I shouldn't say that, people who um, have probably 10 or 15 years of um, working experience. Um, and are looking for kind of the next stage in their career, essentially, um, looking at using the, the experience and knowledge that they have in order to help small businesses, um, but to help these people find more meaningful and flexible jobs as they get older. So you, part of what you're doing then is you're aggregating this pool of really talented people and connecting it to a pool of small businesses that really need this talent. Yes, that's essentially what I'm doing. Um, what we recognise is that um, a lot of small businesses fail uh, each year, especially we've got about 300,000 small businesses that start up every single year. Um, and many of them, I mean, more than half of them fail um, within the first year, essentially. Uh, and then the failure rate uh, over four years is about 90%. So really, um, what we do know is when people start up businesses when they're older uh, is that they're more likely to survive. Uh, the, the failure rate is um, a lot lower. So, but why, why is that? Um, it's the, um, I suppose, what we call wisdom that people gain over time. Um, and, and wisdom leads to things like intuition, you know, being able to make better calls, uh, better judgments. So you actually, your burn rate is a lot lower. Um, you make better overall decisions so that that progresses the, the business a lot faster. So it's sort of adult supervision in a lot of ways. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. So how, where did you get the idea for the business? So the idea for the business actually started, uh, i I've been working in uh, startups for the last um, couple of years and then came back from living um, overseas uh, in London uh, and noticed that a lot of, well, I have friends who had uh, become uh, mothers and they they were professional women, had worked um, for 10 or 15 years in, in a field and then because they took a bit of time off then struggled to get back in the workplace even though they had, you know, um, CPAs and um, degrees and many, many years of experience. Um, on top of that, uh, my dad 
was looking to retire as well and I thought um, and he was actually a bit worried about it he was like well I don't want to work full-time anymore um, but I still want to use my skills and knowledge and my dad has uh, he's an engineer so he's a senior engineer he's worked um, and I thought well I'm sure that there must be a small business or a startup who could use that knowledge really effectively. And so that was where the idea was born from. So this is interesting because I've actually done a bunch of consulting for the Victorian Department of Health. And, and one of the things I was consulting with them over is that there's this enormous cohort of nurses that are just about to retire. Yeah. And most of them will be perfectly happy to do part-time work rather than just leave the profession en masse because they want the freedom, they want the flexibility to look after the grandkids or whatever it might be to enjoy life a little bit more rather than having to work all the time. But they can't do it because the institutions have grown up quite inflexibly. And so part of what we were doing was trying to figure out how to get the organizations, the businesses to be more flexible. And, and so how does that work? Are you having trouble or are the small businesses flexible enough that they can accommodate someone who only wants to work, say, 10 hours a week? Yep, I think that's, that's why we've targeted uh, startups and small businesses is because they do uh, – need that flexibility they don't they can't always afford to hire someone full-time and um, if you look at I suppose if you look at things like um, other solutions that they're using at the moment like probably um, you know Odesk or you know Elancer and um, you know other solutions they're they're very um, short-term so I was gonna ask you so why are you different than an Odesk or a freelancer or an Airtasker where I can go on Airtasker I can go and get an accountant for a couple of hours if I need an accountant so how how is two square pegs different from that model of labor that we're starting to run into yeah well two square pegs is looking at um, building mutually beneficial relationships so it's it's almost like a um, you know, small businesses have an option to either pay now or pay later. And so there's different ways of also um, engaging the the expertise that they need. So they can look at, um, you know, they can affordably uh, get this expertise by either, you know, trading some skills or giving equity within the organisation, providing um, exchange of services. So there's other ways that uh, value can be um, exchanged between the two parties. How is that negotiated? I mean, on freelancer, it's like, okay, I'm going to pay this person in Pakistan $15 an hour to build my website. How is that negotiated on two square pegs? Because it sounds like you have a much bigger menu of possibilities there. That's that's definitely true. And one of the things that we're working on is um, simplifying that menu. But at the moment, a lot of our customer development is around brokering that relationship ourselves. So uh, we can understand, well, as we do more of them, we can start breaking it down and simplifying the process and then creating a simple menu that people can actually choose from. But at this stage in time, through um, basically customer research, we're trying to identify, well, what is it that people really want? And and how did we distill that into the most basic type of contract between two groups of people? So, so you're starting out right now with a negotiation process that's human intensive, but you're learning from that to build models that you can then provide to help automate that process. That's exactly right. But it sounds like that that relationship building process right now is time consuming and probably kind of expensive then, right? Yeah, it is time consuming, but it also gives us an insight into, because this is a, it's like you say, you know, the... The other other models are a lot more straightforward, um, but until you actually understand what the needs of the customer is, you can't actually break that down, and that's what we're doing. We're really doing customer research. 
is there a sense that the customer needs are going to be similar enough from company to company to company that you'll be able to template that? Or is it really going to be that pretty much every company is going to be so different that it's going to offer a different range of arrangements to the people that they want to employ? Um, no, I think we're starting to see certain patterns um, and in certain demographics. Um, and it depends on... Um, Things like um, if the person uh, has retired, often um, people who have retired are more willing to be paid later. Uh, they're actually looking to continue to be um, active and um, they're more interested in in uh continuing to feel like they're connected to the workplace and actually doing interesting things with innovative companies. So we're finding that those group of people are sh- a pattern is appearing there that we can start working on. Um, the same as uh, there are people out there who are looking to get back into the workplace and we've seen a pattern more of around things like they're very open to um, exchanges of service but also open to the fact that um, if the company provides them training, they're also and, and that's a value exchange and that's clear at the start because often um, when people come in for you know, um, I suppose traditionally when you look at students' internships, it's often not a clear-cut uh, outcome that's produced and we're helping to say, well, this is an outcome. So at the end of it, you will get to a level X, you know, like which is um, you'll get zero training and therefore you'll get qualified in that section. So, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting here is that as we have this population who's moving toward retirement, and of course that's very true in America in Australia, in Japan, and in Europe, right? Huge population that's heading toward retirement now. It sounds like Two Square Pegs becomes a key element in helping people transition to the kind of retirement that allows them to feel vital, but at the same time allows them to have the enjoy, enjoy the, the pleasures of retirement. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you talk about the nurses, and, and really, you know, a lot of research has been done to say that 80% of, well, current baby boomers want to you know work part-time into retirement and, and some of them are going to have to work part-time <laughs> yeah. into retirement and, and that's also true and and we're not providing any any avenues for them to actually continue to work in a way that um is a high performance uh you know we 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 have things like a oh, charity shop or the soup kitchen but we're talking about people who are um are in high-performing careers and are leaving that, but they're still, you know, they're still um, highly professional people, and we need to channel that knowledge in a way that can uh, make them feel useful, but that can be beneficial to our society at the same time. Yeah, and I, I've seen examples again in Victoria of doctors who, you know, had a city practice and retire and move to Gippsland, and are now part of communities where they do get to work ten or fifteen hours a week. They get to be doctors in communities that need doctors, but they still get to enjoy their their leaf change. That's exactly right, and that and that's the main aim is because. Um, like you said, the the current institutions and the structures of our companies, you know, if you look on, you know, like a, a big job platform like Seek, there's probably like 90 to 100,000 full-time jobs and probably, you know, 7,000 um, part-time jobs. Now, we, yeah, our society just doesn't, um, or our companies don't reflect the, the, the change within our work demographic. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. I want to tell you a little bit about our brand new sponsor, eCal. eCal is the first 
right-time communications platform. That means it synchronizes rich events content. Could be anything from sporting events to concerts to business appointments. And it does that directly into any popular personal calendar on mobile, desktop, social, so that you have engagement at the right time and in the right place. The eCal Dynamic Calendar Marketing System is proven to deliver a higher value marketing return than more traditional digital communications. It works to increase awareness, acquire data, and drive high value sales and engagement. You can sign up for a free eCal account at eCal.com. And we're back with Trang Du. So, it's two square pegs, just getting started. Matt, you've got a question. I do. So, um, tell us a little bit about, about being a uh, woman tech entrepreneur. Um, it's definitely, there's definitely challenges in it. Um, I, I went to a, um, a conference yesterday and, um, and, you know, we had a um, Tracy Chu from, um, who was a, an engineer at Pinterest who talked about um you know, feeling like, and I, and I um, resonated with a lot of the stuff that she said, feeling like you stand out as well, and which is a good thing and a bad thing. Because quite often you're the only woman in the room. Yes, in the room. I mean, I, and also also experiences where um, I, I've had to stand up and pitch at either events or um, and being the only woman there. So not, um, so kind of feeling like I'm not, uh, you know, part of the community in some ways because you know, um, you know, I um, in the UK, I pitch uh, for a, a music startup in front of the um, technology strategy board there, and uh, I think out of you know fifty people that pitch, there was only two of us, and I mean that's really stark, you know, that contrast. So and it makes you feel very um, out of place, essentially. So. How did you then, I mean, obviously you're getting support setting up two square pegs. So where did that support come from? Um, that support came from, you know, one of the things that um, I did was I completed a um, an entrepreneurial, uh, well, a, a couple of entrepreneurial programs. And um, one was the um, Fitzroy Academy of Getting Shit Done. <laughs> Um, and and the other one was the Founders Institute, and I found that um, you know the Founders Institute was a, a four-month um, intensive course, which is was a bit like a boot camp in many ways. Um, but m- meeting the the people who um, both help organise the course and the mentors that were part of the course were really really useful. Um, and learning, I talk about expertise, but learning from pe- people's previous experiences um, and having that support network around me has been fabulous and and Matt Allen has been a um, a wonderful sounding board on, on so many things. So Matt, talk about that experience. Is the Founders Institute here in Australia actively trying to find female entrepreneurs to mentor? Absolutely. So um, we started off with, I think our class had 32 odd people in it um, and there was uh, six or seven those, um Females in to start with. That's pretty. That, that's not bad. It's not bad. Um, we ended up with one, Trang. Um, and uh, Trang, and did, was there a similar attrition rate for the men, or is that so? We went from thirty-two to eight. 
So there was, okay. Yeah, so uh, eight, eight finish and, and Trang was one. Um, right. So we offer a, um, a female fellowship uh, every semester in, in every course we do, which we run in, um, in Sydney, uh, Melbourne and Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we actively try and, um, and and balance it up as best we can. So if you're, if there are, is a woman entrepreneur listening, how would they be able to apply for their fellowship? So um, we're about to kick off uh, the the lead up to the next semesters, which is starting in March um, in Melbourne and uh, Sydney and, and Perth. Uh, so just up, um, fi.co has all the information there. Um, and I think it's fi.co slash FFF or something like that, female fellowship. Um, and uh yeah, we'll be we'll be tweeting out um, a lot of information about that in the lead up to the new semesters. So, what kinds of advice would you have for other women who may be entertaining doing a tech startup? I we just finished interviewing Jessica Wilson, who does Stash, this lovely app for fashion shopping. She came in. The interesting thing is she doesn't have a tech background, unlike you. She came in because she was in fashion, and so she brought it. She got a technical co-founder, but she's taking to it like a fish to water. Although she's very aware, she's often the only. She's practically the only woman in fish burners, right? Which is saying something because a room full of a house full of men um so uh, what advice would you give to other women who are thinking of becoming tech entrepreneurs um i got my start in entrepreneurship through um hackathons essentially i think they're a really small um accessible bite-sized way of experiencing what it would be like to have a startup essentially and i would encourage more women to um, attend and be part of hackathons. Uh, it also gives you an idea of, of a bit about the process of developing. I don't having a technical background has been great because it helps you navigate that sphere a little bit more. But I don't think that it's the be all and end all. Um, and by getting into hackathons, you need you know um, in startups you need the hacker, the hustler, and the hipster. And um, oh, that's a very good description. <laughs> and um, and you don't have to be the hacker. You know, you can be the hipster or the um, the hustler. Right, and I know in Jess's case, Jess is clearly the hustler, <laughs> but she was able to find the hacker to work with. And 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 I think that's that's. That's actually quite interesting because I think there is this perception that you have to be the Bill Gates, you have to be the uber geek in order to succeed, where people actually overlook the fact that Steve Jobs never wrote a line of code and could never write a line of code, right? So so there's, there's, that, there's a much broader space of experience for successful entrepreneurs in technology. That's exactly right. And um, I mean, when we talk about startups, we forget that um, it's not all about technology. You know, if you create a good business and you franchise it, um, that's scalable and that's a business in itself. So that's, you know, that can still be aligned with the startup model. All right, let me bring this back to two square pegs. Now, where are you in your cycle as a company? You have customers now? Yes, we have customers. Um, yeah, and we're, I mean, we're starting to grow. We're getting, um, we're starting to get traction. People are signing up, reg- both businesses and experts are signing up regularly. How are you How are you building that traction? Is it word of mouth or are you advertising? How are you reaching the experts and how are you reaching the small businesses? Um, I think we're starting to, um, basically a lot of it is word of mouth uh, and we've kept it uh we're still keeping it, uh, it's in beta, so we're still keeping it under a controlled trial, uh, trying different uh, methods of uh, how we uh, interact with our target markets and who who is the best target market to kind of, uh, we're making money, but 
we're trying to um, look at what the uh, what what market has a maximum benefit for us. We've got a trial happening with uh, Bundra Council um, with both their small businesses there, as well as um, the you know um, Bundra Council. Um, I think one of their um, areas is Canberra, which has a very high um, socioeconomic group, um, highly professional, highly skilled, and so um, and lots of people who are retiring at the same time. So doing that trial with um, the council can also help us work out. Well, you know, do we um, do we target this product from a um, from a local level, or do we kind of take it? through to a kind of a national level. So this, this is good. It's the perfect end to my next question, which is that, you know, we've identified that this is a cohort that's actually international. So if you succeed in a local area and even nationally, is this something that you then, is this the kind of Australian business that thrives and can scale overseas or are the, all these markets so particular in their own zins and outs that they wouldn't really work? Um, yeah, I think... I believe that it's entirely scalable. I think uh, there's a massive potential for two square pegs to go. I mean, we are essentially solving, um, like you say, Japan, the UK, America. I mean, they've got ex exactly the same issues. And um, a lot of governments are trying to address, well, how do we... Um, how do we maintain uh, the well-being of this aging population? And I think two square pegs is definitely a solution that can help that. So uh, what do you suspect that you're – how are you going to grow, say, over the next 12 months? What is your plan for that? And are you raising money to help you do that? How many people are you working with now? Um, we've got about five people on our team currently. Um, and, yeah, what we're – building the team is definitely one of the, the, the core things that I'm focused on because getting the right people really helps to push your startup forward. Uh, that's – um, that's always going to be a challenge and um, we're, you know, um, same with the value proposition that um, I'm working with for other startups is the ability to be able to, you know, because you're working on a value exchange, you can try different people and that's what we've done and that's how you learn best Thank you very much for who being works on this for your company and who Australia. doesn't. Actually, and this is an important question I didn't ask, which is how are you monetizing the connection of these employee-employer relationships? So what we're doing is we're looking to build, um, as we um, connect, um, so it's a, a pay now or pay later type of scheme. So for some some people, they have actually come to us for um, straight recruitment. Mm -hmm. So we have charge recruitment fees based on that, and that's 10% of, of the first year's kind of salary for the, those that want right, to pay. Right, that's a standard rate for a recruiter. That's exactly right. Um, for those that pay later, we uh, we look at equity, but it's still the same thing, or um, we've signed them on to a preferred supplier agreement, so as their business grows, uh, we become their preferred supplier, and then uh, we kind of build a relationship over time. So, so not only are you building relationships between employers and employees, you're building relationships with the companies. That's exactly right. Right. Trang, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Big thanks to sponsors Optus Innovate Nikal. Their support makes this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Varmouth and AnalogCabin.net for their hard work creating a podcast that is a positive joy to listen to. 
Thanks to Jen George and Trang Du for coming on to our show. They have helped us understand the connected labor market. And thanks to Matt Allen for being our awesome Melbourne producer. We'll be back in a fortnight. We'll be talking to Scott Hensecker, the founder of Startup Victoria, about what it's like down Melbourne Way and how to turn Melbourne into a startup powerhouse. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.